Welcome to Monkey on My Back podcast, a frank, open discussion where we attempt to destigmatize mental health in men with those that have suffered. Welcome to the very first episode of the Monkey on My Back podcast, which may be as short-lived as Fulham stay in the Premier League, but on the flip side, we can do it all again in 18 months. I'm joined today by my firstborn, Charlie. So, mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good at the moment. It's always a positive. Good. <laughs> so you've you've just moved into your first home with the lovely bubbly Tara. Yep. So um so how have you coped um with unfamiliar items like an iron washing machine and a, a Hoover? You haven't even bought an iron yet. Washing machine's alright, yeah. You do it from your phone now, do you know that? You control a washing machine through your fucking yeah. phone. It's modern technology, isn't it? You have an app on your phone that connects to your washing machine because that connects to the Wi Fi. Well wait you there. You can time it. You've still got to fucking load the washing machine. Yeah, that's the easy bit, isn't it? Selecting what setting well, you want is the hard bit. Even that's AI now. It decides what it wants. Why do you need to remotely control your washing machine? Why don't you just load it up and well, turn so if, it on when you've loaded well, it if up? If you load it on, load it up, and you're out for the day, you can put it on at a certain time, so like it's done by the time you get home. So it's not sitting in the washing machine being damp, and getting all damp and smelly. Okay. <laughs> Does AI do anything else in your house? Um, thermostat. Okay. Hive control. It comes on certain times and stuff like that. It's all set in, set up, so I can have it set up, set up so it comes on in the morning for me. So I'm nice and warm before work. You know, cost of living crisis. So it goes off very quickly. I get off work. It's warm and then it goes off again. Oh, see, I, I'm very old school. I have um, I have a pair of legs, mate, and they go up to a thermostat and they turn it on and off, and then no, but this is on before I've even woken up. Oh, f- anyway, <laughs> fuck me. All right, well, let's let's not go down a fucking thermostat route, okay? So I'm going to ask a question that probably everyone around you is going to be asking. So why have you started podcasting now at the age of 51? What has drawn you to doing this and talking to people? Or talking about yourself as well? So whilst I now find it easy to talk about mental health, because ultimately that's uh, why me and you have paired up um, to, to have a conversation um, I've always found it really difficult to have a sustainable conversation with a mate or family member. Um, and with the greatest respect to them because you know, I am surrounded and I'm blessed to have so many listeners around me. But ultimately, if you're not suffering from anxiety or mental health or may not fortunately have experienced it, you're going to find it really really difficult to relate to me and my conversation and where i am people find it awkward as well i think they can listen but I'm not saying people in particular and stuff but you know conversations i've had with people about it they find it really awkward and they don't really know how to reply or it's kind of like a a, a loss a gr- like a death they don't really understand like how to reply but sometimes they don't even have to reply to talk you, you you can just listen you just listen you know you can throw your own opinion but, do, in but don't you think see I think that is like a default man setting because I guarantee if a, if a woman was to have that conversation with a friend you know yeah. regarding you know, a mental health related illness yeah they'd be whisked off they'd be having a coffee 
Yeah. They would be at home and the conversation would never stop until that friend was in a better place. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, 100% actually. When you think about it, that's probably what 99% of women do. Like, and that is the right thing to do. Oh, absolutely. It's not a right or wrong thing to do, but I'm saying that is probably the best thing that you could possibly do. Take them out of the situation. Take them somewhere different. Go and change change the scenery. But, you know, like going for a coffee and stuff like that. It's great. Like for a bloke, you know, you'd probably go, come on, let's go down to the pub. Let's have a beer. Let's go for a curry. You know, something like that. And it don't have to be all of you. It'd be just you and this other person. And that could be enough to start someone on their slow journey back to good health. I think for a lot of blokes, or as we touched on, you know, it, it's that relatable conversation and and guys are very... No one dismisses what anyone's got to say. I don't believe that either. Yeah, I think that is too harsh. I think what you said, I think guys can find it uncomfortable. Um, but because it's a very, very difficult conversation. Yeah. It's a very difficult conversation. And I think your mates will always give you a smile. You know, and I think there's still that culture of a slap on the back and let's have a beer. A bit of banter. Uh, you know, and a bit of banter. Which is good. No, absolutely. It's good for you. There's, there's no wrong and right. And I've got the greatest respect for everyone who approaches my dark periods of life like that. I've got the greatest respect because yeah. I don't think there is any right or wrong to this. Okay, the fact that you've acknowledged that you're I'm not a, in a great place. Yeah, you're having a shit time. And as long as you know that. Yeah. As long as you know that. But because if you're in a shit place, yeah. I want to know that. Yeah, of course. And that's... And vice versa, yeah. And, and and it's a domino effect. You know, and and hopefully they will speak to someone and say, look, I'm in a shit place. And before you know, oh my God, I'm also in a shit place. Not that we want the whole fucking world yeah. to be in a shit place, but certainly amongst blokes, you know, acknowledging it is fantastic. And just offsetting that load, mate. Yeah. Is, is is important. So so yeah. And I wanted to get I wanted to send this message out there. Um because how many times have people walked up to you and gone, How are you, Charlie? And our programmed response is, I'm good mate. You? Yeah, alright. But if someone asks that question again when you've said when you've originally answered it, gone, Yeah, I'm good and they said, No. Seriously, mate, how are you? Yeah. Do you think? Because I know with me that there would be a different response. Yeah. Because the first one is the man in me, which goes, yeah, I'm all right, mate. Yeah. Almost like, Whatever, don't talk why to the me. fuck shouldn't there be yeah. anything? And I think why, the biggest thing know. is as well, like, you know, the thing men don't talk. They don't. But I feel like men are starting to talk more now. I feel like it has become more recognised, and and as a consequence of that, of that, people aren't feeling as awkward. Like my earlier comment, blokes feel awkward. I don't feel like they are as awkward as what they used to be. You know, it's okay to not feel okay. It, it really is. Like as long as you can act on that and help that person through it, 
you know what I mean? I don't, I'm not saying be their fucking counsellor, but mm. helping by just asking if they're all right, dig a little deeper. It, it could change how they're feeling completely. No, no, no. no absolutely, Charlie. Look, you know, I, I've said this before, you know, and, and I'm maintaining it, okay? Talking is not the be-all and end-all. I mean, I know there's been huge me- media coverage coverage over the last few years, and someone who's suffered from depression on and off for 30 years, to 30 years it has been so needed. The message needs to be sent out there. You know, when we look at, you know, I'm not going to touch on male suicide rates, but they are particularly high. I think they're more prolific than cancer between men of 40 to 51. I mean, it, statistically, it's it's terrible. So we need... I, I, I think this talking campaign is vitally, vitally important. But let's not lose track of what's happening here. There is a there is a bigger issue than just a conversation, all right? We need to get the help after this. There needs to be a lifestyle, a life change, you know, therapy, medication, but it has to start somewhere. And I think that's the message. You know, it's got to start with a conversation because yeah. if it doesn't, you just you just become consumed. Yeah. So and um and that leads me on, you know, again. I know we're still on this question. Um, we just all need, we all need to be totally honest with ourselves. If you've never spoken about it and you don't even, maybe can't even acknowledge or appreciate that there's anything there or there's anything wrong. Because yeah, people don't, they don't see it. The, the, Not the, in themselves. No. If no. everyone, the whole world could see it. That person might not actually believe that they're down. They they haven't got anything wrong. But people just think it's normal to feel like that. Just to feel like oh, it's the weather. Oh, I'm tired. I've woke up on the wrong side of bed. You know, and it goes and it and that's where it manifests. That's where it manifests. It starts off with mm, not feeling it today. Um, I couldn't even, you know, God, I couldn't even tell you where it started with me, but it does start off like that. Not feeling it today. Knackered. And there might be a little bit of anger that enters a personality throughout that day, that week. And you lash out on the wrong person, or you lash out on anyone. Someone that you might never have had an argument with. You you start... I think you start to become... I, I don't know. I think everyone's journey is different, but I certainly... Certainly, always felt that like I started to become a lot more withdrawn. Yeah, isolated. Isolate yourself. Yeah, from people. Oh no, no, definitely, no, definitely. So, okay, I, I, I the premise of this is that I really want blokes to talk, um, and keep talking and keep communicating, you know, and and just send this message out that. If there is anything you've got to say regarding your journey, your condition, then why not come on here? Exactly. And speak about it. Why not? That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. 
think the more people that talk about it out in the open publicly and you know like a podcast like this it can reach out to certain people you know someone's not going to listen to this if they're not if they haven't felt low they haven't been depressed or you know they haven't been in this situation before i think you will reach a lot of people that have experienced what you know you've experienced and you know i've dipped in and out of um so it will help massively if people do want to just talk if you've been through it even if you've you've come through on the other side and you know everything's good come and talk about it come and talk about your past experiences and what led you to being depressed if if indeed there is a reason if there is a reason or even if there isn't a reason if there's no triggers (laughs) or anything like that just come and talk about your experience how you felt how you did what you did to get out of that who you spoke to what you spoke about I think the more people talk publicly, it will it will help massively. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Or even if you're going through it right now, right this second, talk, reach out, reach out to this podcast, reach out to anyone, if family, if if you've got no one, then come reach out to me, my dad. See, so th- and and this, do you know? It's weird you say that about reaching out because. Th- this is a little controversial, but see, not all of us, all right, have that relatable, unbiased shoulder to lean on. No. We just don't. And, you know, it's very easy for us to send this message out. Yeah, talk, talk. But you might not have that person in your life. And I, listen, mate, I know that there's obviously, you know, we have minds, we have the Samaritans, yeah. and there's. There is a lot of help out there, you know, if if you just, if you reach for it. But people, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I've, I've called Mind. Yeah. You know, um, on several occasions. Okay. Um, and that's not because, and I've called Mind. Actually, this is, this is quite weird because I don't think I've ever spoke about it before because I think, Anyone who's listening here will go, well, you've got your sons and you've got your wife and you've got friends and there's family. So why have you phoned up mine? Well, for the same reasons that you'd probably want to come on this podcast. Yeah. Because there are certain points in my life where I find it easier to talk to a relatable stranger about where I am than to run my family through the emotional mill and concern them. So if there's ever a reason, that would be it. You don't want to put the burden on them? No, yeah. You, well, well, you yeah. feel like you're putting a burden on oh, them. Oh, uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? But you're not. Yeah, no, oh, God, yeah. That's no. what you feel like you're doing, but you're, oh. you're not putting a burden on anyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, look, I just want to give... There's any blokes listening, whether we have one listener, two listeners, you know, I want to hear your story, or we want to hear your story. Other men want to hear your story. And, you know, I want you to, to inspire us, to talk, to get help. How did it affect those around you? So, look, yeah, that's the reason I've done the podcast. You know what? Yeah, all good.
All good. Okay, good, good. Okay. Ready for another question? Go then. Yeah, go on. Fuck it. So where did monkey on my back actually come from? Oh, I would like to think... I would like to think that, you know, it speaks for itself. Um, look, there's three people that have lived in my life um, ever since I've had depression. And it took me a long time to understand. In fact, I think I probably suffered from depression for the best part of oh, 20 years before I actually could fully appreciate that there's three people in my life. And when I say three people, and I'd like and, and, and I'd like to think that people can understand this analogy of uh, depression. There's me. And I, and I, Darren, am sandwiched right in the middle of two people. Or two things, two personas. And, you know, the, the first one, or the second one, they're not in any particular order, is the monkey who's on my back. And this, and this animal is really, really dark. And he grips on and he takes Darren, the dad, the husband, the friend, away from everything what's good and he paints such a dark picture of life and he gets inside my head and he constantly tells me and pokes at me and convinces me that I'm no good that you're, you're a shit father you're a shit husband you're not well liked you try too hard there is so many negative connotations to this animal on my shoulder that I could go on all night. But he's not good for me. And I sit there and I'm trying to fight this guy off and it makes me really tired. Really tired. And there comes that point where I have to be a dad and I have to be a husband and I have to go to work. And I can't cope because this, this, this animal has pulled me down so far. So then I create this other guy and he's really good. He's fun and he can put on a great mask and he can go out there and he can drink and he can he can be anything I want him to be. But more importantly, he has got to be a people pleaser. And he goes out there and he does a really good job. However... He is just as tiresome as that fucking monkey. And he really wears me down. And then I get home. And somewhere between it all, I'm there. And I'm trying to fight my way out of it. So, monkey on my back is really my buzzword for depression, mate. It's good. I mean, it's not good, but it's a brilliant analogy of how it's made you feel. And I have to say, which is, this is really lovely at the moment. It, you know, as we, as we sit here now having this conversation, which is lovely, mate, really lovely. Um, this 
alter ego, this outrageous, you know, people pleaser is is not even in the house at the moment. <laughs> and and this monkey is most definitely sulking in the corner. Yeah. Because this is me. You know, and this is I'm saying it's a rarity. I don't think it is a rarity no, nowadays. It's not. it's not. But you know, it's here and I'm present and I'm mindful. Yeah. And I've still got a lot of work to do and you know, I'm sure we'll speak about that later, but I'm very mindful of me being present. Yeah. And that's taken a lot of work, but yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it spreads like wildfire. Not just us, I mean, just in general. I, mean, I think it is already. Breaking the stigma. Um, around the world, all these podcasts and, you know, these charities are working well with each other to help men talk. So uh, one thing that stuck with me when I was younger... Um, I'm talking probably about 10 years ago now is when we went Cyprus for the first time you know we met a lot of people out there um, you was obviously suffering then quite badly with your mental health but you was this other person that you spoke about earlier was this outgoing crazy you know people pleaser and you was you, you know getting pissed every day like every, like, like you do on holiday I'm not, not disputing that but like getting smashed, getting right involved with the reps, like being right out there. Basically, you turned into a rep for the whole two weeks was out there. Yeah. But then that, for me, you know, like the years later, at the time, it's great, you know. I mean, you know, fucking hell, dad's like proper having a like good time. I mean, probably in your head, you're not. Maybe it is your, your release, but this is the other geezer coming in and, you know, the three people you're talking about, this is one of them coming out and shrouding you, yourself. Do you know what, mate? You know, and, and there is an actual fear here that, well, d- you know, th- this guy, Darren, does does he actually have fun? You know, because we, we know this monkey is an, an absolute bastard and we know that he's got this alter ego who comes out and is a people pleaser. So so what, what exactly, Darren? What is Darren? Well, actually... You are that person. That was Darren on holiday. Yeah. That was when I was having a bad time. Yeah. And I got out into the sunshine. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, I felt completely stripped of all the pressures and everything that had surrounded me for a long time around that period. And I remember it, you know, and there was this huge euphoric moment within me where I was like, you know what? You are going to live like there's no fucking tomorrow because you have stood under a cloud for far too fucking long. And I remember that holiday yeah. very well. So, um, I'm not saying it was a bad thing. No, I, no. I loved it. Do you know what I mean? We all did. Everyone loved no, it. No, no. But I don't, I don't want you to also feel like that your, your, your whole childhood was tarnished <laughs> by this guy who actually never existed because actually your dad... Can be a funny, crazy fucker. Well, which you are most of the time. When he wants to, but uh, there is, there's also another side of me where you know, I have to put on, uh, I have to, I have to put on a mask, and because I'm just not, I'm just not up for it. I'm, I'm completely detached from the situation. If we go out or do something, sometimes, and I, I can either say and do nothing, and everyone. And one thing 
that over the years that really fucking jars me is when people say, oh, what's wrong with Darren? Yeah. People might think, oh, actually, Darren, isn't that a good question? No, because you do your level... Listen, depression's... Depression's ultimate defence is masking what's wrong. It really is. And let me tell you, you can react very badly as well. So it's a hard mould to crack because people say what's wrong with him. I jump straight to the defence of depression and go, oh, nothing. What, can't I be quiet? Yeah. It's it's brilliant. It's It's a real... Depression is a real fucking chameleon. It just evolves to its environment. Like monkey on my back, is it going to be just about depressed blokes talking shit? Or is there going to be some substance to it? Um, no, I think it'd be about depressed blokes talking shit, yeah. I, I don't... It's not... No, no, look. I'm guessing there's going to be a certain amount of shit spoken, all right? Because, let's face it, blokes are the Premier League of speaking shit. Oh, yeah. Okay, but I think I said earlier, look, this is this is not just a survival story, right? It's individual, it's individual battles. Unspoken words and people's fight from escaping the darkest into better days. <sighs> I don't know, look, I, I think ultimately... You know, I want this be to be a message to to men that all's not lost, and and you can reconnect seemingly broken relationships, and you have to believe that you can win this battle, because you know it's long term. You know whether you know we we fail to appreciate that at the time, but you know you 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 can be in this for years rather than weeks. Yeah. And, you know, look, I want this podcast to inspire blokes to find that lost life, that lost person, and be the best, best fucking version of themselves. It's not easy. So let's hope talking shit ultimately does help. The question is, Charlie, when when was the first time I thought I had a problem? Well, Okay. For me, it stemmed. Look, I really had a poor opinion of myself. I did. And I can't ever. And there was nothing that triggered that. I didn't think there was anything unique about me. I always felt like, and I did, I always felt like I lived outside the circle of my mates when I was growing up. And I don't know why. You know, I couldn't, I, I can't explain that feeling. You know, I was involved and I played football and, but I was a square peg in a round hole. And, and I remember that from being very young. I mean, as young as I can remember, I know people can, can remember things at four and five. No, I can't. I would probably say that, you know, my first memories was probably clear memories was around nine or ten. But I just remembered feeling really 
overly, overly emotional inside, like it was bubbling up, but disconnected as a teenager. And, you know, look. And then then we had the 80s, and I think it was about... Fucking hell, how old was I? 12, 1983? Fucking hell. Everyone was speaking about a nuclear war. <laughs> I mean, we had leaflets. I mean, there was films out. There was a film called Freds, and there was... Oh, you know what? It was a it was a bleak period that time as well, and that really affected me. More so if there was, if I had if I had any underlying problems, yeah, you know, I think it was a threat of a nuclear holocaust, and that really scared me. And I think, you know, really going backwards and forwards, you know, and when I had therapy, I think that that the one thing what come out of it that I would probably describe myself as oversensitive as a kid. I was worried and I was a frightened teenager. Yet there was nothing out there to frighten me other than, I don't know, I suppose, a nuclear conflict. But quite honestly, that was out of my control. There's nothing I could do about that. I was just scared. I just I, there was something within my makeup what was just really worried, really concerned, and really scared about everything. Or I f- about about the future. Yeah. Uh, not not just mine, mum and dad's, my brothers. I was just worried for everything. You know, I was probably like a lot of. Nine, ten, eleven year olds, where I was just like looking at my wife already. I was like, I was planning my escape from my life. I, I wanted to be married. I wanted away with this. I, there had to be something better than this because I was trapped inside my mind, and there was nothing around me. And 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 I and I, and I think my outlet, bizarrely, fucking bizarrely, at such a young age, was a wife and children. Yeah. That was. That is what I desperately, desperately craved. I think probably more so is that like, when I speak about like mum and dad, my upbringing, like loosely, and uh, because I, I don't want to go into too much depth. Otherwise, fuck me, this podcast will you know run for five seasons. <laughs> uh, this one episode will run for five <laughs> seasons. I mean, I wanted stability. Because there was so much instability in my life, you know. Um, I think, I think the thing what upsets me most as an adult is that I look back and I see this this young boy Darren, and I see the life <clears throat> that I have now. And I see this sad, frightened young lad who spent an awful amount of time crying. And I look at, I look at you, and I look at Max, and I look at Jay. And it would break my heart to see any of you three so lonely, yeah, and so, so on your own. And that I have absolute vivid memories of me spending an awful amount of time crying. Now, 
was there any trigger from why I was feeling so isolated, so lonely, so scared, so anxious? Because certainly to the outside world, and I think that any of my friends from that period would vouch for it, that I didn't give that impression whatsoever. I mean, I was playing football over the park most days. You know, I was socially active in school. I'd be at a lot of after clubs. But I think the story stems... Look, my dad was an alcoholic. There's no doubt about that. And if he wasn't an alcoholic, he had a fucking serious drink problem. Yeah. Uh, My mum was also diagnosed with multiple sclerosis a couple of years before I was born. So my mum essentially, multiple sclerosis, for for those that don't know, is, is a real debilitating disease. And, you know, very, very similar to Parkinson's in its process. So... I had a dad who was an alcoholic, a mum who was disabled, a mum who was very, very, very anxious, very concerned for the future. And I can see a lot of my, of me and my mum. And my mum was also a manic depressive. So she was, she was on high strength antidepressants, antidepressants when I was a very young lad. And my dad, <coughs> as a consequence, I was the youngest of four boys. And my dad decided um, that what's best for him is to to have a job that takes him away from home five nights a week. Um, and so therefore, my mum, who was disabled, who didn't have the capability of bringing up four lads, um, allowed my nan and granddad to do that. And with the greatest respect to my nan and granddad, they lived in a different era. I mean... Very old school. I mean... Wartime era. I mean, fuck me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, they was... You know, they lived throughout two world wars, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. And there they are, bringing up kids. So, you know, it was... It was very, very old school, very draconian. Look, I, 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 I... Look, I've lost my mum and dad now and I, and I love them dearly. And I do. I I love and loved my mum and dad dearly. Okay, and, you know, I excuses can be made for parenting. You come from different eras and, you know, I, I don't buy into it. Mum suffered from depression. Mum was disabled. Dad was an alcoholic. Dad chose to stay away from the home. My brother's played their part in bringing me up. My nan and granddad played their part in bringing me up. But not once was I supported at school. Not once did I see my mum and dad turn up to school, ever. I take into account that our curriculum spans over a decade. My mum and dad never attended anything. Do you think that's why you was there for us all the time? Oh, 100%. Because one thing you do as a parent is you want to right the wrongs of 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 where your mum and dad found. Um, and then, and it was just very dark. We lived in we lived in a two bedroom house. Four brothers, nan and granddad, mum and dad. Mum and dad slept in the living room on a sofa. And and let me tell you, this is not one of them lovely love stories where you go, oh God. It sounds like something out of Charlie and the fucking chocolate factory. And so, and a few years later, you all lived happily ever after. No. 
We stayed in that fucking house until the day I left home, when which was in 1988, <coughs> whenever it was, when I was 17, 18. Um, it was an awfully bleak house. And, you know, and if that wasn't enough, seeing me, me dad, and my dad also had a serious gambling problem. Besides this picture, oh, look, because I, I don't want, and I'm, I'm sure there's going to be podcasts when I speak about my, my relationship with my dad. I love my dad, and he was, he was a very, very generous, loving bloke. He never hit me. He never displayed any violence towards my mum. He was a really lovely drunk. And that's the best way I've described my dad. However, I would only be able to meet my dad in a pub at a very young age. you know. And part of that process was meeting my dad in a pub, having a lemonade with him, him throwing me a pound note, me going shopping, me coming back, him telling me to go over to the bookies and put a bet on. Fuck me, I was 10. You know, um, and that he, was my life. He was I, like that till the day he died. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, pretty much. You know, pretty much. Yeah, he was. I don't so, think I've ever seen Grandad out of a pub. No, that, that, <laughs> if that, I'm honest. Yeah, no, that was that. That was it. But there was no look. There, there was no support network. All right, there really wasn't, and they was very loving. Like I said, there was no violence, no abuse in our relationship, mental or otherwise. You know. They left. was just redundant, man. There's no other word for it. They was just redundant. Just left your own devices. Yeah. And so I always, you know, child, because I had lots of relationships. I, and I, mum would be the first to admit and know and acknowledge that I had a lot of relationships leading up to when I, I met mum. Because, you know, and it wasn't until I had therapy. It was, it was quite clear then that I was just, I just crave love because... I never, I I never got the love that I desired from home, the love that I wanted, and so I was always looking for it in somebody else, and I bounced from relationship to relationship to relationship, <coughs> maybe lived with six girls up until I met Mum yeah. from the age of seventeen to you know twenty twenty four, probably a girl a year. I was, I was living with, um. You know, and then in between all of this, with what's going on in my head, I mean, I left school at 15, you know, uh, the fact that no one else give a fuck about my curriculum, then why should I? You know, uh, I believe that I had enough in my mantle to to go out into the big wide world and do things for myself. And, um, and all through this period, I was still, I was still searching for something. And the older I got, I would like to say the less complicated it became, but I didn't because I then started to blot out these feelings through um, weed and alcohol. I didn't delve into anything stronger until, you know, much later on in life, but in my early years, it was a lot of weed. And, and, and again, I couldn't appreciate that all it was was covering over the cracks and I still had to wake up in the morning and then you know my my brother Dean who's the second oldest and I was 18 uh, was diagnosed with terminal terminal Hodgkin's disease 
um, which is was a real fucking blow from someone who went to the doctors with a backache um, to two weeks later coming home in tears saying that, you know, I'm going to die and they've given me less than a year. And my mum and dad dealt with that really, really badly. In fact, they isolated themselves even further. You know, and I, I couldn't really get my head around it. My mum and dad, I, I was 17, 18 at the time. And it was dark, man. It was a dark, dark, dark period. I think it was, you know, selfishly, it was a very dark period in my life because I was fully, fully aware that there wasn't some quite, something quite right with me, but we no one spoke about depression or mental health in 1980 fucking... Was it even a thing? 1985. No, who knows? Well, well it, it was, but in old people, you know, and it certainly wasn't in blokes. My God! You know, yeah. what, 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 are you going, what are you going to go up to you, mate? You know, Sad. Yeah, hello, John. Yeah, mate, I'm not feeling it. I'm really low, man. I feel like the world's ebbing away from me. Can you give me any advice? I'd get fucking slapped around the fucking face and kicked up the arse and say, crack on, son. <laughs> you know, you had no, like, no, it wasn't, it was never acknowledged. And Dean died. You know, he died, you know, when I was just before, just before my 19th birthday. Um, and oh, if there was any breath left in me, if there was any spirit, it was sucked out then, you know. And I, I think <coughs> even then, I vividly remember where is my wife? Where are my children? When is this going to happen? Because I need to be saved. And I actually, you know, it was so bizarre because I, I, that entered my head so many times when I was growing up that somewhere, somewhere, someone out there is going to love me for who I am and I'm going to love them for who I am and we're going to have these beautiful children as a consequence of that. But I was, I, that, 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 that was my beacon of light. I think that's, that's probably what, kept me going at a very young age. Um, and then I met mum. Did you end up getting help? No, I'm, I met mum and naturally she fell, she fell pregnant with you quite quickly and then we had you. When, you. when you was born and I cried, I mean, I cried. It was naturally, I had a beautiful, healthy baby boy in front of me. But I cried because I was absolutely convinced that I could not live up to the full potential that you deserved. And it really upset me. And and I actually had very similar tears for all of my boys when you was born, because I just, I felt such a failure from within. And it come from nothing. It come from nowhere. You know, outside, you know, people would tell me, not tell me you know, I didn't need I didn't need gratitude and a pat on the fucking head every day. But you know, there would be a perception that, you know, I was a I was a nice geezer, I was alright and, you know, a decent dad. But I was fundamentally flawed and I was a failure and there was so much self loathing and anyway, look this systematic process of depression takes its grip, mate, and look, you don't get help. 
it manifests. It doesn't just fucking go away. You don't, uh, as I felt, you know, up until the point that I went to the doctors when I was 30, I lived 20 years um, in the hope that I'd be sleeping this off one day. Yeah. You know, if I have a glass of water and an aspirin, it'd be fucking gone. It'd be fine. It never did. And then mum, I was with mum for about five years. I was about 31 and I had a bad back. It was pers- persistent. And mum took, I, 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 I got a doctor's appointment and mum was insistent that she comes with me. And I was like, mm, you know, fucking bizarre. I don't need you to hold my hand. I'm fine. Yeah. I can get to the doctor's and she come with me. And we sat in the doctor's and mum went, tell him, tell him, <laughs> you know. And she's looking at me, mum, saying this. Tell him, tell him what? Tell him what's wrong. And right up until that point, I was still in denial. I'm 31 years of age. I carried this fucking monkey around on me for nearly two decades, or as long as I could remember. And here I am, under the spotlight, with professional help, four yards from me and the first person that I've opened up to and I'm looking at mum as if to say what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> I am fine yeah. thank you very much so even at that stage I was still in denial Yeah. but mum was quite persi- she was very persistent in that doctors and within Five minutes, I was an emotional wreck. I was crying. Mum was crying. And I just said, look, there's something wrong with me. You know, that that was it. I couldn't couldn't tell him. How descriptive do you want me to be, mate? I said, you know, I want to fucking die. You know? I I don't want to be here. This is is what it's done to me. You know? And so he... Wrote me up medication, um, antidepressants. I couldn't tell you what they were. And I was engaged in therapy for 12 weeks straight away. Um, I have a greater understanding of this thing that plagues me now. This this monkey on my back, for, for want of a better word. I have a greater understanding of it. I certainly have more control over it. Um, I have an internal awareness of when it's starting to grip me. Um, I can see it and I can react to it appropriately. So how do I, how do I get through this? Well, well, let me tell you, for me, it is textbook stuff. You know, the stuff that people had been telling me for years and years and years and years, which I just chose to ignore. The first thing is you've really got to clean yourself up. And when I say clean yourself up, you've got to avoid alcohol. If um, Now, we're talking about people who are like really in the depths of this, right? I mean, we're not talking about people who are flirting with it in and out. Look. Yeah. Alcohol at the best of times is great as a social drink. Yeah. But you don't drink to mask something, right? So if you're drinking 
to mask anxiety or mental health, man. You've got to, you've got to live this. You've got to live this nightmare. Yeah. All right, you've got to live it. All right, it's got to be real. You can't mask it because let me tell you, it comes back and it fucking bites you twice as hard the next day yeah. or when you've recovered, whether it be alcohol, coke, weed, what whatever floats your boat. All right, you've got to avoid it. So the first thing I do is I knock that shit on the head. I then start going more into, instead of, you know, hitting the fucking steak and the burgers and all the shit that I, that I shop for with mum and, you know, processed food, all of a sudden I start going down the green route, you know. There's a lot more fruit in the basket. There's a lot more veg. Now, I'm not going to lie, for the first week of this, fucking hell, the amount of veggie fry in the bin, because you're still eating that shit. <laughs> But then you realise that your mindset's exactly the same. Yeah. And then you don't drink. And then you start eating well. And it's like, I never eat well. And you start to eat well. And then me, I give myself a really... And, and, and I know there's probably therapists out there who say, do not set unrealistic goals. Well, I actually fucking do. Yeah. All right, so when I'm really in the depths of things and I think, right, you know, I need to grab onto something, all right, some structure. So, for example, I've entered the ballot for the London Marathon. I've never run more than fucking four miles. I'm 15 <laughs> fucking stuck. But that will give me some structure. So. It gives you a goal. Yeah, it gives me a goal. Absolutely. Something to strive towards, you know, and yeah. something positive because you're going to yeah. be, I'm going to be raising money for a great, great charity, multiple sclerosis, what Nan had. And look, and I feel really apprehensive about, but not anxious. I'm really looking forward to, to taking up the challenge. So, so look, I eat well, I stop drinking. I don't do drugs. And I set myself um, a fairly unrealistic target but it'd be all good um i then start oh man like fucking hell man the world of podcasts and spotify and and chromecast and god knows what else right i gotta start going into guided meditation and mindfulness okay you know i do it i mean i done it this morning man sent me to sleep for two fucking hours really mate it was only a 15 minute episode i woke up to episode fucking 10 or something you know but it's a slow burner, all right? And you've got to get used to it. Now, you know, you're, you're throwing yourselves into things that you've never, ever experienced. You know, you have no knowledge of what it does. We live in a world where there's so much information. Yeah. So here I am. I'm out there finding half hour of my day. And let me tell you, Taking into account that, God forbid, if you looked at the hours I put into social fucking media, which is for another podcast, all right? <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm I'm putting two and a half hours mileage into that fucking phone of mine. Yeah. So I find half hour, and I go out for a, a brisk walk or a run. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether you live in a fucking country or an urban estate. Go out there and feel the fucking world. Yeah. So, a combination of soft meditation, mindfulness, uh, mindfulness eating well, avoiding alcohol, any and form exercise, of exercise, any form of exercise, well said Charlie, 
And if you really needed to and have to, then you have therapy and medication to help stimulate the recovery. All of which I absolutely agree with because you have got to do what's best for you. What works for me is delving deep into all the good stuff because the more positivity that I throw at this awful fucking disease and let me tell you when I start to dip you know what it's like you'll see me it's like I'll have a treble Jack Daniels in front of me I'll be eating eating a fucking burger I'll be be spending a lot of hours on my phone and I've really dipped into really bad habits and let me tell you that monkey mate he's best mates and I tell you, his best mates is laziness, shit food, anything which is unstimulating. So social media. Alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Mate, he'll live on a diet of that yeah. and he'll keep me fucking chained up in a corner of a settee 100%. or on my bed. All right, And that's how I live my life. So where I'm at now, I've had some dips, I've had some blips. I would categorically state, and I'm quite happy to say this, whatever the date is, the 14th of October 2022, this is the best place that I've been in mentally, I would say, categorically all year. Did the wheels have to fall off to make it better? To make you feel better? Yeah. I, I at this point yeah I, I I I yeah I I hit rock bottom again this time um I don't always react so proactively I'm going to be honest yeah. um but this is the best decision I made this time to react proactively Good. um and I say I don't act proactively because when I do hit rock bottom then I know I have, but the climb is a long, hard climb to get out of that pit, if you like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But as this one has been pretty instantaneous because with me doing this, I don't know, mate, whatever this is, this podcast, this... Awareness? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, awareness. I mean, listen, I, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel. There's fucking plenty of guys doing this. Yeah, of course. You know, I just don't see many podcasts where, you know, fucking Jim the Builder from fucking Bexley Eve, who's suffered from this for 15, 20 years, and now wants to come forward and speak. Well, I'm sorry, mate, unless you're fucking... I, I get the feeling, and I listen, man, I've got enough respect for the attention that celebrities have brought to the mental health arena, people like um, Tyson Fury, for example. Yeah, huge. Okay, but listen, these podcasters only want to ever speak to them. Yeah. You know, it's always the big influential celebrities, and it just I just feel like, you know what? The man needs to have a voice. You want to speak to the common man. Oh, well, whoever, God, that sounds a very working class statement. No, but, but anyone. 
Like, yeah, I want to speak... Listen, I've always said it when I started this off. I want to speak to the geezer next door. I want to speak to the student, man. I want to speak to young... Oh, listen, I want to speak to the person like who's that. been affected indirectly by mental health. I want to speak to therapists, Charlie. Yeah. I want to speak to mindfulness gurus. I, I do not... I want to speak to a vast range of people. I, I'm not... Let's just see where it takes me. Yeah. You know? You know if it opens up channels... And gets people speaking one fucking person, then it's job done, mate. Yeah, you'll be happy with that. Oh, 100%. Just one geezer comes forward, or one geezer contacts me and says, Mate, fucking that helped me so much. I love it. Yeah. Right. So, on that note, um, I think we need to draw episode one of this uh, Monkey in My Back podcast to an end and uh, say, Char, thanks for coming up thanks for around. having me <laughs> um, really right. enjoyed it mate it's an honour to be the first guest yes and probably the last <laughs> let's uh, hope not <laughs> <laughs> one of the most short lived podcasts um, thanks mate thank you love you love you too take care bye 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 the monkey on my back podcast launches the 14th November 2022 getting men talking